Comic Sans coming into uh, the bar and the bartender telling him, sorry, we're not serving your type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, like, I love the dad jokes. That was a good one. This week, we're talking to design and branding expert Daria Gonzalez. Daria co-founded Wonder Dogs, a global design consultancy in 2017. But before that, she did a lot of other things. She was a Siberian travel reporter, an architect, a Russian music booking agent, and like me, she got an MBA and became a VC, although neither of us lasted too long. I wanted to know, how did all of those experiences come together in Wonder Dogs? Why did she choose to bootstrap? How did the company's sweet spot, helping launch highly technical and often esoteric products, become the thing that they do most? Daria answered all that and more. But first, she told me a few more jokes. Yeah, so, and the, there were a couple of other jokes, and they essentially went from being very cheesy and very kind of mass appeal to being really kind of smarter, but also weird and not very mass appeal. Kind of like every time someone stretches a font, a designer cries. <laughs> I feel like that's the whole joke. That was great. That is actually the whole joke. <laughs> I think you could do a whole series on a designer cries. That would be good. You know, maybe Louis, you and I should start a podcast called Designer Cries. I think <laughs> I just make designers cry is the problem. <laughs> I think me too. I want to. I wanted to dive into um, your background pre Wonder Dogs, and we'll get to Wonder Dogs in a second. But I wanted, um, if you would take a minute, I'd love to understand your journey leading up to Wonder Dogs. I went to an architecture school to get a degree in, in architecture. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a part-time job two years after I started um, in college. And uh, I realized within like two months that I was a really shitty architect and I should not just ever do it. Um, I didn't have discipline. I didn't have dedication. So I just quit right away and moved to Berlin and launched a uh, booking agency for musicians to uh, uh, kind of host live shows, um, mostly between Berlin and Russia. I'm half Russian, half Cuban, by the way. So kind of grew up between these two countries um, and did that for That's a couple like of years. You're crushing. Um, <laughs> You know what, Louis? I'm glad it's at least not a spy joke. But uh, <laughs> yes, actually, yeah, this is yeah. good. This is actually a good joke. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so I, I was doing this um, kind of music business for a while. Then um, the I had to go back to Russia to uh, get my final, uh, you know, final exams because I was still studying as an architect somehow. And uh, went back, decided to stay, um, and ended up like traveling a whole bunch uh, across Russia, like in Siberia, uh, you know, far east, very, very kind of uh, bizarre places. And that proned me to um, create a digital magazine for foreign travelers who wanted to see Russia off the beaten path, but didn't necessarily know how to. So it was kind of like a very inspiring how-to guide that was also kind of mixed up a little bit with uh, Airbnb or like Crowdsurf. Yeah. Um, and I and I heard you ended up living in Siberia with dog breeders or, or like, how did, so how did that happen? Well, that's how it happened. <laughs> you, were, <laughs> you know, you want to launch a business, you have to know it A to Z. So uh, uh, I ended up, yeah, I, I spent about two months uh, with do uh, deer breeders, actually, reindeer breeders. Oh, they were uh, deer breeders. Sorry. Yes. 
but there were a lot of dogs too. It's reindeer breeders. Yes, reindeer breeders. Uh, living there for like two months with them. They're nomadic. Um, they're you know kind of like a a, a real tribe. Um, it was fun. Basically, what I'm thinking in my head is, you couldn't be farther from starting a tech creative yeah. agency. <laughs> okay, you're in Siberia. You know, sleeping. You know, with the reindeer reindeer breeder tribe, how do you how do you bring it back? It's very you know, uh, just life happens <laughs> somehow. So um, um, my magazine <clears throat> ended up being acquired by a large uh, media, and uh, I you know kind of from the buckwheat soup in Siberia, I went to be a, a media producer. So I was producing different digital projects like magazines or, you know, storytelling apps um, within that media. And then what happened was there was this um, media consultant who my boss uh, hired to, uh, you know, essentially give us advice on how to build iPad news apps. No one knew that it was a horrible idea back then. Um, And so this media consultant was this young, handsome gentleman he wore this awesome suit um, and everyone was listening to him. And so I came up to him because I was 24 and no one would listen to me at the time. And so I came up to him and I just asked, you know, how did you get there uh, where you are? And he said, I, I got my MBA degree at London Business School. But uh, my English was really bad at the time. So I heard MBA. And instead of researching, I just kept telling everyone I'm going to get to America and get my MBA <laughs> degree. <laughs> Until my mom told me that I was not tall enough to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I started Googling what MBA actually was, um, learned about Stanford and Harvard, and uh, ended up uh, first time in America, first time, uh, my first kind of place to step my foot on was Palo Alto, which I was 100% sure. Uh, was sprawling with drones that deliver pizza and, you know, uh, Elon Musk's just walking around. But uh, instead, I saw kind of a village um, and it was a little shocking to me, but uh, it grew on me. Um, and um, as, you know, um, as I thought that I needed to learn business to become a better entrepreneur, I, uh, you know, was attending all of the classes tirelessly. But by the end of my time at Stanford, I, I kind of realized that um, I don't really like business that much. And then from and then from there, you go into VC. Yes. And I know we talked about it yesterday. I know that you really like me saying this, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say it. I think that VC is the kind of least businessy job you can get after, after a, a business degree because there's not even that much counting involved. Now, I, I, you know, I also went into VC after my MBA, so, so we, really we, 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 we share that and <laughs> neither of us lasted particularly long. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, I, I, I feel like it's actually like a really cool profession, especially if you are, you know, into, into this type of um, just kind of lifestyle. Um, and I learned a lot, you know, when I, when I was, uh, NVC and we were investing in, you know, predominantly super, uh, deep tech kind of IP driven, you know, startups. I learned a lot about technology and it was just fascinating me, you know, and, uh, uh, eventually, um, you know, what I started not noticing though, is that all of these really great, mostly engineer, uh, type of founders would, you know, 
really believe in their product, but they would kind of struggle looking past the product features and into the story. So they were struggling telling me what their product is about, what is actually, uh, what is, what is it solving? Um, you know, how is it helping people? And most of their decks also looked quite um, just kind of not professional, unpolished. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really hard for me to like even be getting through these decks because it, it was just kind of a, a challenge. Um, and uh, eventually I just kind of saw the opportunity um, that, you know, helping these engineers uh, build early stage brands, build, you know, the narrative, build the visual appeal of what their products are. Um, could be a great kind of window of opportunity for us. So tell me, tell me about starting Wonder Dogs and what the real impetus was. Is like, okay, you know, how did you and your co-founder meet? How did you decide this is it? This is what we're doing. Essentially, I miss design a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, I saw that all of these people needed design services, uh, and so I thought, you know, I'm just gonna put out a. Uh, Facebook post because I'm an old person. I don't use TikTok. So I, I put out a, a Facebook post just saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing logos now. <laughs> Why don't you guys come and help me? And the person who's my co-founder, her name is Olga. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually met at that VC that we worked uh, at. We were part of a, a seed stage fund called uh, GBA Capital. And this fund was famous for um, having bought a huge building that used to be a Catholic church in the middle of San Francisco and, uh, uh, transferred it into a essentially kind of like an event space. Right. So, uh, my office was inside of a church essentially. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, Olga, my future co-founder was leading all of the operations for like renovation, construction, obtaining permits, and it was such a crazy ride that was so hard. And I, you know, I was looking at this amazing woman and I thought, you know, whatever she does, she will always get it done. Yeah. And of course, we, we bonded a lot in terms of just kind of being entrepreneurial. And uh, at the end of the day, when we saw this opportunity, she was also eight months pregnant at the time. Um, we just kind of, yeah, we just kind of went for it. Um, and uh, we just called ourselves Wonder Dogs. That's another interesting story. Um, okay, tell me. Well, why do you call yourself Wonder Dogs? So uh, when, uh, when we decided to start Wonder Dogs, I used to live um, two blocks away from the original birthplace of Hell's Angels, actually. Um, and that was uh, in, the, in the neighborhood called Dogpatch um, in San Francisco. And so that's essentially how uh, was one of the reasons why we called them Wonder Dogs. The actual kind of smarter idea behind it is that we take underdogs, you know, do some magic, do some wonders, and then they become big dogs, which kind of ties up to our value proposition, if you will, uh, which is helping uh, high growth, you know, early stage, mostly organizations to launch their products um, and grow them. You're back at the very beginning. You've just named the the creative agency Wonder Dogs. It's you and Olga. Tell me about finding your first clients. How did you do that? Um, it's fairly easy. If you are the only creative person graduating out of a 100, 450 people business class, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, to be very honest. So I definitely, even though 
when I was graduating out of Stanford, I didn't exactly know what would be the value of this two years I spent in business school. Um, this definitely kind of already paid back uh, because, uh, you know, uh, I was the one who was always drawing something during all of the classes instead of making notes in the lectures. So um, I kind of back there built this personal brand of, uh, you know, the creative one. And uh, when we started it, the first clients I had were, you know, my classmates or people who knew me from there yeah. who were starting businesses and just saw my note uh, on Facebook and came in. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's how we kind of were operating for maybe even like the first six months. And then yeah. uh, word of mouth converted it into, you know, second, third, four, four times removed uh, folks and maybe other creative or design folks will also share it with you, but it's actually extremely hard to do good marketing for a, for an agency and possibly lose. That's why I know <laughs> yes. uh, sh shameless rocket place plug rocket place is a uh, platform that helps you find new businesses. That's exactly why we exist. It is difficult. Thank you. Uh, yes. So it's very difficult. Uh, and predominantly it is difficult because it's a very human to human business. So a brand, you know, is your baby. You don't mm -hmm. want to be trusting it to the strangers yet. You realize that you can't really raise it on your own. So people yeah. are extremely risk averse when it comes down to, you know, creative services around their startups, especially startups. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's very hard to just be like, uh, let's just run this campaign uh, on LinkedIn and just people are going to come to you. Um, yeah. And another reason it's also like, it depends on what type of agency you are. But um, I would say that our prices, even though they're not very high, especially kind of California level, mm -hmm. they're still too high for like a successful LinkedIn or any other marketing campaign. Yeah. There's just way too much steps and way too much education also to be done to a potential client before actually signing them. I want to come back to finding your first client, starting Wonder Dogs. I know that you bootstrapped Wonder Dogs and, but you were, you, you had VC experience. So, you know, all these founders who are raising money and you've seen that you probably have a bunch of, um, Stanford business school classmates who are also raising money. I want to know why, why did you, why did you do it? And, and how did you make it work? Um, well, uh, creative agency is not necessarily a venture business, right? Um, yep. so we do not, um, uh, experience as much of scaling and growth as most of the investment worthy, let's go that way, businesses do. Um, and, uh, were you scared about this? No, not really. So I never really wanted to launch a high growth business, uh, or a startup, let's call it that way, because I... It's, it's a very kind of personal thing. I just don't really like to know that I owe people anything. And uh, with all of this kind of, you know, um, investments and, uh, and people kind of losing money, it just, you know, I came from, a, from the type of kind of financial backgrounds that it makes me feel uncomfortable when I know that I, you know, can lose someone else's money. Uh, yeah, so I just didn't want to... Um, be dependent on anyone on, and especially because I knew exactly what type of company I wanted to build. And I didn't really want to have to 
follow the advice of people who not necessarily were aware of my industry. So kind of, I would, I would say it's, it's both of these reasons. Yeah. So we, we just had a little money saved up and we um, kind of went for it. We, we always were setting up certain timelines, you know, as in if in three months we don't get here, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Or if in the next two months we don't get here, then maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Well, and, t- and tell me more about that. So, you know, in those first three, six months, what were the very hardest things? Um, so clients were still hard uh, for mm-hmm. us. Another, I would say another thing that was hard is, um, and it's something that we actually still sometimes encounter, is uh, how hard it is to position ourselves in the agency world. Because uh, even though I truly believe that for the startups, especially, or even you know, larger innovative organizations, we really provide a very kind of crystal clear value. We provide everything at very high speed at, uh, you know, uh, with an understanding of how technology businesses work. Um, and we also don't have, we're, we're fully remote by choice. Uh, we, we kind of started that way. And we, so we also don't have these huge overhead costs on, you know, uh, the offices and uh, some excessive personnel sometimes that yeah. it's still, it was still very hard to convince people that without an office, we can provide, you know, high quality work. They were all very used to, you know, the fact that if I, if I work with a creative agency, like a fancy looking assistant should let me in this beautiful room and there should be all of these uh, you know, crazy images and advertisements that they've, you know, won Webby Awards for. But the point is, to, to at least to my taste and experience, a lot of the creative agency traditional industry is extremely outdated. And a lot of their perks and kind of uh, um, traditions, they are just going, uh, becoming roadblocks to providing high quality work on time and on a budget, uh, especially on a startup budget. Okay, so today, Wonder Dogs is a global design consultancy. And you have a whole bunch of services and you actually serve clients from very small, just starting out to really large, uh, Fortune 500 size companies. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you know, when we say global design consultancy, what, what does that mean? What are the services that Wonder Dogs provides? So it's kind of, I feel like all of these attempts to explain what the firm does in one word, like creative agency, design consultancy, uh, you know, design firm, and uh, all of these fancy future-proof end-to-end solutions is horrible. It's a horrible tradition, but unfortunately... Um, many people still kind of require some sort of a lingo, um, to build trust, you know, so we essentially in a way, um, also another kind of piece of information here is that branding itself is extremely complex as a service. It's really hard to explain to folks who never done it before or never worked with anyone before on what it is, why it matters. Um, and so lots of agencies call themselves nowadays design consultants to project this kind of 360 approach that their team will uh, apply to the client's brand, 
right? Because the the actual translation or kind of meaning of branding is what people talk about your company when you're not in the room. A very impressive marketer once said to me that your brand is the sum total of all the experiences that people have with your company all the time, right? Whether or not that's those experiences are, you know, when they're using your product or when people are talking about your product. Exactly. That's exactly it. And then now imagine how hard it is to actually explain what the hell is does this mean <laughs> to someone who never dealt with this before. And so essentially uh, what Wonder Dogs do, the way I try to position ourselves is uh, we are we are a creative firm that assists with everything related to product launch. So think about this, right? You need to launch a product or you need to fundraise. What would Mm -hmm. you need from creative people to do that? You will need a help to create a story. You will need help to make it into a pitch uh, and design a pitch deck. You will need help with, uh, you know, logo, visual identity. You will need help to understand who to talk to and kind of what channels to use. And then further down the line, you'll need help uh, with your digital landing and then uh, kind of a strategy on how to approach this product launch. And even this, even though to me it already sounds pretty straightforward, I understand that it's like a lot of uh, a list, a long list of bullet points. Our our audience, we have we have a lot of a lot of founders, a lot of people working on innovative things out there listening to our podcast. You mm-hmm. know, when when a client is approaching Wonder Dogs, what is what is the ideal client? What are what are the things that they're doing or the questions that they should be asking when they're when they think about working with you or working with a different agency or working with an agency at all first of all um our ideal client um is a company that's technology driven so they're building something new and most of the times they actually struggling with translating complex tech language into approachable and relatable narrative, both kind of text-wise and Mm visuals-wise. So that's that's our ideal client. So probably 70% of our clients are B2B enterprise, deep tech, complex satellite, uh, you know, technologies. Because what we really love is to dig into complex stuff and rearrange it to make it, you know, Easier. And, and that must be, I mean, I know you've got some background in this from your VC days, but it must be really tough learning about all these esoteric deep technologies for you and your team. Or is that part of why you love it? It is tough. <laughs> it is tough and it's part of why we love it. But also, you know, we uh, we kind of developed a, a huge amount of frameworks and IPs on how for, you know, kind of a, a standard copywriter, for example, to approach um, complex solutions with us so that it's also quick and doesn't take too much time to understand uh, for them. So uh, that's what's interesting about it, because um, unlike my perception of creative agencies, what we do is um, we try to optimize all of our work streams uh, in order for the hardest client to become our easiest and most favorite client, kind of to become our bullseye audience, right? So that's, uh, that's, that's why I think there's a huge opportunity, because Lots of other creative agencies love working on things like, you know, music festivals and uh, restaurant design, which is really great. Um, But someone has to be doing, um, you know, high tech and deep tech as well. 
Um, and it's very different. The working with startups, their pacing is different. Everything is always due yesterday. Um, there's lots of pivots. You have to be very flexible and agile to be able to iterate. You can't take a task and spend a month without coming back to them. It's all, you know, it's just a very different framework framework of work. And for me, it's the ideal one because I get to combine my favorite startup pace with creativity. And, and and so tell me more about, you know, working with these companies. I mean, how do you set expectations? How do you measure success? Um, yeah, so it really depends on mostly the size of the client, I would say, right? So uh, different businesses have different types of measure of success. So for example, for our youngest um, clients who are probably pre-seed or early stage startups, um, most of them come to us to help uh, fundraise to design a pitch deck or uh, create a narrative and help them create an investment-worthy narrative, so to speak. So for us, the measure of success is mostly how much money we help them raise Mm -hmm. or our decks help them raise. Uh, Obviously, founders, you know, they do a lot of great work to do it themselves as well. Of course. And so uh, for, but for example, for the very large clients, they are ready to spend money to do testing on the branding. Um, and test it with the audience. Um, and we can provide the service as well. But that's something that typically comes with, with size, you know, how much, um, how much you want to be investing in order to really make sure that what we're creating is spot on right away. And so the smaller the client is, the more they're willing to be iterative and uh, kind of infiltrate the brand in their day-to-day operations and and make mistakes and see how they can be adjusted. But the larger the client is, the less they want to fail or the the less they want to pivot with their brand. And so the more they want to be investing in making sure that before the launch of the brand, um, it's tested through the audience. Um, To be honest, I really love the, the startup approach more, but I totally see the value of, you know, the larger client approach as well. I want to transition to what's going on in the world. Daria, I know that you, your company has always been remote first and, you know, and with everything going on in the world with the pandemic, it actually looks very prescient that you've built a remote first company. I'm wondering, what is your opinion on the, on the, on the trend of being remote first? Do you think that um, our clients going to continue to be more accepting of, of working with remote first companies? Has it gotten easier to um, work with clients now that, you know, remote first is actually what they expect? During economic downturn, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to say that our work has gone, um, has gotten much easier just because people are more conservative with money spent, especially on marketing um, for some reason. Um, But um, to be honest, um, Louis, yes. So I would say that people became way more uh, open to working with a remote company. And uh, I feel like, you know, in the last two years, and we're only two and a half, almost three years old, but we're fairly young. Um, And in the last two years, we did kind of manage to break this uh, glass ceiling um, of, you know, just by delivering very high quality work and and having our work, you know, featured in in, uh, awards or media. Um, But it was still a little hard because 
people expect you to wear, you know, uh, an office looking clothes and, and sit somewhere in the office at least. But uh, right now, having had remote experience and, uh, you know, y- you notice that I have a perfect Wi-Fi connection at all times. Uh, my, you know, my entire <laughs> yes, house is right. a perfect um, kind of office spot for, for me, you know, and so it is for all of my teammates. So in terms of um, being a remote company, I feel like, it become it became easier to present ourselves as such, and also it actually provides additional level of just kind of calmness and trust for our clients because they know that we are sort of thriving in this environment as opposed to trying to adjust to something that's ex- extremely novel for us. Your company, Wonder Dogs, was prepared for kind of this remote work revolution, but what about your clients? How do you see them adapting? Um, so we also, again, got really lucky because a lot of our clients are tech-driven businesses and I feel like they are prone to adaption way more than more traditional businesses. And a lot of them already had partial remote teams, whether it's, you know, IT team that works elsewhere um, or just kind of having several offices. Um, <clears throat> I feel like kind of working with cutting edge um, companies was really helpful for us um, in this sense. But um, we also still work with um, a whole number of, you know, more traditional stores, including even retail. Um, and uh, with these folks, um, it's been very hard on them. Uh, so from our end, we actually uh, launched a couple of initiatives as well to provide higher discounts for, you know, companies that want to do quote-unquote, digital transformation or set up an e-commerce direct-to-consumer experiences. And uh, uh, it's been harder on them, but I feel like it's kind of good for our business because people think digitally, they think um, how to adapt and innovate more nowadays, even if they are traditional business. And uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's really interesting for us to be working in such environment, but we are trying to help as much as we can. So for example, for a month, we opened what we called Wonderline, which is essentially a professional hotline for founders and kind of business leaders who need any type of advice on how to build a website. I love that. That's that's awesome. It was really fun. We ended up uh, talking to over a hundred startup founders um we you know someone from our team was on call for two hours every day um for a month and uh, we got a lot of like incredible connections and gave away a lot of advice learned a lot um and also got like this amazing just kind of feedback from people around us and actually helped a whole bunch of people um so you know, we're we're feeling fine during the crisis, but we want to help others who are not. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is is being a uh, a female founded company, mm-hmm. and you're a female founder, and your co founders a uh, female founder, and but yet you work in a lot of traditionally male dominated industries, technology, VC. Um, mm-hmm. You have clients in blockchain and crypto. I'm sure, sh- like and Shell. What's that? What's that been like? And um, I'd love to hear about, you know, how how you've positioned the company and how you, you know, any things that you think are changing. Uh, yeah. So, 
to be completely honest with you, in my very personal experience, um, and you know, I also come from Russia and, uh, um, some argue it's way worse there uh, for a female founder. Some actually argue that due to like the USSR um, legacy, it's actually um, more equal rights in the professional workplace. But, um, you know, I would say that I actually never really encountered anything that happened specifically to me in the workplace that would make me feel um, you know, like I'm a less important in the room or unwelcome or threatened, but I'm kind of always also like a, a tough person. <laughs> you know, I don't look like one, but, uh, um, I have a thick skin. I haven't personally touched on that trend, but I do know that it exists. And, uh, you know, a lot of my female, um, colleagues and, uh, you know, especially in the creative industry as well. Um, it was so bad that probably 10 years ago, um, two amazing founders launched a 3% conference, which was a conference about um, kind of the fact that there were only 3% pe- uh, women in the decision-making roles in the creative industry. But it's mostly about, you know, large creative agencies. So what the funny thing is, uh, out of six people in our executive team in our company, in Wonder Dogs, only one is a male. And... Um, it kind of happened by chance. We didn't really, um, yeah. you know, for for some of our designers, we even once did kind of like a blind testing on purpose to test if we're biased towards one end or another. We we didn't know uh, who the person was until we actually, uh, you know, saw that the the design test that they 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 did. And uh, you know, we have an incredible design team, and you know, a lot of it's it's really fun for me and very kind of hopeful for me to watch how pretty much maybe almost half of our clients are actually either have uh, either are founded by a woman um, startups that run by a woman or have women in the decision-making positions. Um, And, you know, we actually provide quite high discounts as well to people, to minority leaders and female founded companies as well, because we're, you know, we're a small agency, but we're trying to support other, other folks uh, as much as we can. So can't comment much about the hardships, but I know they exist. I wanted to end with, you know, as you think back to the starting of Wonder Dogs and where you are today, there are a lot of, a lot of, entrepreneurs are listening to this podcast. And a lot of these entrepreneurs want to start agencies just like yours, whether that's a creative agency or a different type of agency. What would be the advice you would give to those those budding entrepreneurs thinking about starting their own agencies? So in terms of advice, um, you know, we started as a very non-traditional creative agency because neither me nor Olga, my co-founder, had kind of a pure, you know, designer or brand strategist experience. And, uh, we ha- we struggled a bunch yep. <laughs> because we didn't have it, but we also um, managed to leverage our difference. And uh, I think what really works for us as uh, Wonder Dogs is our additional experience. We're not only designers; we're also former investors, former founders, you know, operationists, and so on. And I think a lot of times, if you know, if we talk exclusively about designers and design world, a lot of times designers stay designers. So they can be very 
keen and adept in terms of design principles and new trends and tools. But if you want to really launch an agency and you want to be a solo or you want to be a solo who serves clients, you have to be more than that. Um, you have to really educate yourself on the type of industry the clients work in and on the type of, you know, just kind of where the world goes, where their business goes. Because what's important, especially nowadays, at least with the clients that we work with, is that you're not just providing design. You're helping them solve their business problems by means of design and creativity. And this is this is true whether you're do- building a design agency or an accounting firm. Exactly, exactly. You have to understand what are their pressing needs, how to address them, and think kind of beyond, you know, as I mentioned before, what's cool or trendy um, and more into what actually is the solution, what can help them, what can empower them. This has been great, Daria. I really appreciate it uh, all the time. Thank you for being on the Startup Stack. It's been really wonderful, wonderful hearing about Wonder Dogs. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, thank you for all the time today. Thank you, Louis. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.